Uh, all right, so listen, uh, yesterday is a great day around the Downing household because it's, it's Irish Day. It's uh, St. Patty's Day. So, you know, two Irishmen were working uh, in the public works department, you know, and one would dig a hole and another guy would just come along behind him and fill it back in. And they're digging a hole and the guy's filling it back in, digging a hole, next guy filling it back in. And after a while, somebody who was watching this happen was quite amazed, and they said, listen, excuse me, but why are you digging a hole, and then your buddy's coming along and filling it in right after you dig it? The hole digger, he wipes his brow, and he says, well, he said, I suppose it probably looks odd, because normally we're a three-person team. He said, but the lad who plants the trees, he called in sick today. <laughs> Come on, that's good, right? Come on. Seamus opens up the newspaper, and he's shocked to see his own obituary. In a panic, he phones up uh, his friend, and he says, Did you see the paper? They say that I died. His friend replies, Yes, I saw it too. Where are you calling from? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Bill, you know, <laughs> Billy, uh, Billy stops uh, Patty in Dublin, and he asks for the quickest way to get to Cork. Patty says, Well, are you on foot, or are you in the car? And he goes, well, in the car. He goes, well, that's the quickest way. <laughs> All right. There you go. A little bit of Ireland today. Come on now. Uh, all right. Uh, hallelujah. You guys got this uh, flipped over? There it is. All right, thank you. All right, now, let me just put this into play mode here. All right. Uh, there's only two kinds of people in the world, those who are Irish and those who wish they were. All right. <laughs> uh, all right, this morning I wanted to just start off by uh, playing a, a video. The, uh, this past week in March break, uh, we had... Um, uh, the ladies put on uh, um, Oasis Art Studio for the kids, right? And, uh, and so just an awesome, awesome uh, opportunity for our children. And they made a video, so I just wanted to play it for you today. So there, if you have the audio ready for your head, this, Sheldon, and away we go. Creative potential of laughter and the undeniable power. 
for you have called me son. There is someone inside of me waiting to be unleashed. Embrace whom I long to be. There is an all-consuming fire, a light that permeates from my very being. You have unlocked me, God. The doors you open, no man can shut. I will praise you for all my days, for you are good. You have released me, God, with your love. Together and uh, what were the ages again? That was kindergarten to grade eight. Absolutely fantastic work, and I, I was able to go in and, and uh, you know see the kids after they had worked the first day, and uh, some of them were so excited, telling me how they'd you know taken some time. They, the, the ladies led them through uh, learning to listen to God, pray, draw it out first what you believe the Lord wants you to paint, then paint it. It was absolutely fantastic. And can we just put our hands together for them? Thank you so much, Bonnie and Magda, for working with that. Awesome, 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 and uh, it's fantastic to see kids expressing themselves. Uh, I believe someone said this morning, if you got a gift, you got to use it, and I might have been a little more potent than that, but uh, good to see people using them. Praise the Lord. Well, today, and it's going to have to be very quickly, because we had a lot of exciting stuff already, but I want to talk about, uh, last week I talked about taking our giving to to the next level, and uh, today I want to talk about uh, investing ourselves, our time. Uh, uh, in serving to the next level. And so, I mean, it works really well with what you just talked about, Marshall, about serving. And, uh, you know, uh, God is calling each and every one of us to, to serve. And uh, the church is a family of sons. And we're called to serve the Great Commission until our very last breath is drawn. Everybody say amen to that. And, uh, and it's important for you to understand this principle right here. We serve as sons. We do not serve as slaves, right? We serve as sons. We've been adopted into the family. The Bible says we're joint heirs with Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God. That, and we serve from that position. We serve as part of the family. We don't serve as hired help. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? And uh, because we've been called uh, to serve from that position of family, from that position of belonging. And, and so everything I talk about today, this is an undergirding principle that we serve as sons. We serve as daughters. Everybody say it together. I serve as a son. I serve as a daughter. Amen. That's how we serve this morning. Praise the Lord. 
Well, let me just start talking about how every one of us as, a, as serving has been called as a builder. You've been called as a builder. Turn to the person beside you and say, I'm a builder. I'm a builder. You've got to catch this today, that you are a builder. Now, some of you would say, have you ever seen my building skills? I am not much of a builder. But you are, when it comes to the kingdom of God, you are a builder. And uh, even as leaders in the church, our role is to train and equip you as a builder. We're not supposed to do all the building. We're supposed to help train and equip everybody in the body of Christ to build with us. So it's not just us building. It's everybody building, all right? It's not like, uh, you know, the Leafs game last night where, you know, the blue and white were doing all the work and the people in the, in the crowd are watching, right? I'd say the red, white, and blue were doing some work, but they weren't. They were just losing miserably. Uh, but, uh, yes, uh, anyway, but, uh, you know, the, the, the blue and white were in there working. Everybody else is watching. That's not a picture of the kingdom. The kingdom is everybody working, all right? Everybody say, everybody working. It's exactly what the kingdom is. It's everybody working. You know, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18, I just want to take a quick read of it today. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The words of Jesus are clear. I will build, he said, my church. I will build. Everybody say build. Build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is inviting us to be co-laborers with him to build his church. As we advance the kingdom, we're called to build the church, right? right. And, and, and that's just not an option. It's interesting that, Marshall, you said that they planted over 6,000 churches, right, uh, in last year. 6,000 churches. Why do they plant churches? Because Jesus told us to build the church. They don't just share the gospel. They don't just hand out Bibles. But they're building churches because, and planting churches because we're called to build the church, mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't mean the physical building. It means more than that. It means the people inside the building. And when you get the people in the building, when you get the people together as a family, then they, they naturally want to have a, a building where they can meet and worship, etc. But it's the people that are the church. And when we are building the people, we're building the church. Someone say amen. <clears throat> We've been called to build. Everyone, everyone in the family is called to build. One of the worst things you can do as a parent is to absolve your child from family chores. Now hear me today. The one of the worst things you can do is to take chores away from your child. Uh, when I was a kid, yeah, and all the moms were going, yes, preacher brother. But, you know, this, you know, 50 years ago, this wouldn't need to have been said. But today we live in a culture where it's much more difficult to find things for kids to do. How many uh, that are over 50 were raised on a farm? Let me see your hands. See, now, how many of you under 50 are raising farms? One, two. I mean, are you seeing what I'm saying? It, when, when I was a child, the, most of the kids in my class, at least half of them or more, were raised on a farm, 
whether it was a hobby farm or a full-on dairy farm or a beef farm, uh, they were raised on a farm. And so every day we had chores to do. Myself, when I got up in the morning, we had breakfast. Before I got on the bus, I had to go down. I had to make sure that the cattle had water for the day. I had to make sure everything was set up. We didn't have a dairy farm, praise the Lord, just a beef farm. Uh, so, you know, I had to do that kind of stuff. Then when I came home from school, it was my job to check on the cattle again. It was my job to make sure that the, there was salt there, that, there was, uh, that the stalls were ready for them if they were coming in at night, depending on the time of year it was. Uh, I had to make sure they were fed if it was in the wintertime. I had to do all that kind of stuff because that was part of what being a family was. And, and please hear this this morning. I, I, I didn't get an allowance for it. What? I was expected to do it. Because I was part of a family. And everybody in the family works. Now, if I wanted money, then I had to do extra work for that. I'd come with my dad wiring houses and stuff on weekends and things. And even though I was probably not much help at that point, I learned a lot from him doing it. And he paid me when I came and worked with him. Or if I did some extra chore around, you know, if I cut wood with him on a, on, on a Saturday or something and I had some other plan, but he'd say, well, you can come with me and make $10 for the day. He'd hire me to do that. But I had regular work that was my responsibility that I didn't get an allowance for because I was expected to work. Shaking some of you up here this morning. This is an important thing for us to understand. It really is. And uh, did I complain about it sometimes? Yeah, I complained about it a lot. I'd even point out to my parents, you know, so-and-so gets an allowance for nothing. Well, you don't live at so-and-so's house. You know, that's why I get told, you know. Amanda's like, I heard that before. So, uh, you know, and uh, today, you know, fewer and fewer people live on farms. But that doesn't mean that our children shouldn't be given chores to do that they must do and that they don't get paid for. They just do them because it's part of being in family, that everybody has stuff to do. Everybody has stuff to do. Everybody does their part. And our children need to learn the joy of their shared responsibility and shared blessing that comes from a job well done. Ryan was telling me a, a, month, a few months ago that uh, they were cleaning up after dinner, and Ava says, can I do the dishes, Dad? And he was just going to say yes, and you know, because they all like to work together. Then he got this twisted, evil look in his face, and he said, well, have you cleaned your room yet? She said, no. He goes, well, go clean your room. Then you can come down and do dishes. <laughs> so she went upstairs, and he got the room clean out of it, too. And then she came down and did the dishes. And, I, and he said, it was just a stroke of genius that came to me uh, in a burst of inspiration, right? And so Ava just loves to work. She ran upstairs. She cleaned the room, came back down, dove right into the dishes. And uh, I thought, wow, that is amazing right there. Uh, how many parents have that problem at home? You know what I'm saying? Uh, but anyway... Uh, you know, we, we don't do our kids a service if we do not give them work to do. Uh, they need to be part of the family. It means they need to work. Um, second thing I want to point out to, is that there is an allure, an allure to the camp of blessing. Okay? How many know I believe in being blessed? I believe in blessing. We talk about it a lot. But I want to talk to you today uh, about, I want to read to you uh, the passage that we just read. Uh, verse 18, but I want to read it to you from the New World Entitled Charismatic Translation. Okay? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you. This is from the New World Entitled Christian or Charismatic Translation. It says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will bless my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All right? How many have that translation at home? Does your, does your Bible say bless or does it say build? Anybody say bless? No? It all, they all say build? That's because there isn't a... New World Entitled Christian Translation. But 
Some people live as though there were a New World entitled Christian translation. All right? And they have this expectation that it should be all blessing, 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 and not building, building, building. And yet the Bible says build. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, if you build, you will be blessed. Right? If you build, you will be blessed. If you build, say it with me. If you build, you will be blessed. Thank God that that's the truth. But let me illustrate again from parenting, if, you, if I may. If your focus is always on blessing your children and not building them, then the result will be that you produce spoiled, entitled brats. Could I say it any more bluntly than that, Marshall? Is that pretty good? If, if all your focus is on blessing them instead of building them, you will create spoiled, entitled brats. Could I say it any plainer? Your job is, is to see that they're blessed, but they will be blessed when they build. Am I making any sense? Your children need to learn that blessing comes from being part of the family, working as part of the family, sowing into the family, doing good things for other people, uh, making sure that, that's your, that your values are set, and when your values are set in your life, blessing follows. But we don't just give them and give them and give them and give them and give them without building them first. And this is an easy trap, especially in our generation. It's so easy to just constantly be giving our kids things because we have the means to give them things. And then they can get to this place where they feel entitled to these things. And I see it all the time. Kids that have a sense of entitlement, they don't think they should have to work or should have to apply themselves to anything. Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? So if, you folk, if your focus is on building your children and building in them character, grace, love, integrity, strong work ethic, rooted in family, uh, then you know what? They're going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed. Let me put this up here. There we go. If you teach children to build, they will be blessed. But if you teach them that they're entitled to be blessed, they will build nothing. You catch that? If you teach a child to build, if you teach them to build, they will be blessed. But if you teach them that, you know, they're entitled to be blessed, then with their life, they will build nothing. That is just a fact of life. We want to make sure that our children grow up to be builders. And if they're builders, then they will be blessed. They will be blessed. It's very easy in our culture today to become focused on getting and not giving. And we owe our children a favor to make sure that their focus is on giving and not getting. And when their focus is on giving, the Bible says, give. What's it? Finish it for me, somebody. And it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He'll pour it into your lap, right? So we have to train our children to be givers, and not just givers financially, but givers of their time to invest their lives in other people. And it's easy to lose focus and get it messed up. Let me show you how it happened in the scripture. Jesus said, after six days, took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And you think, what does that verse have to do with what you're talking about? It's simple. It is uh, when we lose our focus on what God did uh, 
in the past, uh, we end up making a religion out of glory. When we lose our focus and we shift it to what God did in the past instead of what God wants to do now, then what happens is we make a religion out of glory. Somebody say, ouch. ouch. And when you teach children to, that they're entitled, what they will do is they will make a religion out of being entitled rather than out of giving and serving. And a religion out of entitlement is deadly. A religion of entitlement actually does not work. And there's a fine line, and Israel tried to walk it all the time. There's a fine line between being blessed and being entitled. Hello? Look at Israel's history and how many times they got this messed up. How many times did they fall into sin? Did they fall into dark situations? Cried out to God. God came. He, he forgave them. He delivered them from the, their evil captors. He blessed them. They began to walk in blessing again. And the very blessing they walked in turned into the thing that bound them again. And, then, and so the, the difficult thing for us as Christians is to walk that line where God is blessing us and we don't fall into that spirit of entitlement, but we stay in that place of service, of giving as a son, as a daughter to the Lord. I want to illustrate this for you from another passage. And uh, everybody say, no Nehushtans. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I'm going to explain it through this Old Testament passage. This is uh, 2 Kings chapter 18. And uh, beginning verse 1, it says, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones down, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces, listen to this, he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. All right? It was called Nehushtan. And uh, maybe you need a little bit of help with the history on this. But 300 years previous to this passage, 300 years previously, Israel had been suffering uh, and uh, they had been led out of Egyptian captivity by Moses, right? Delivered from Pharaoh's hand. And they, they got out of, of Egypt and out of captivity and there they were in the wilderness. And rather than walking with gratitude and with thankfulness to God for their deliverance after 400 years of slavery, now they're out in the middle of the wilderness and they start to grumble that they don't have enough food or they don't have enough water or that this is the problem and that's a problem. And the grumbling got so bad that the Lord called down snakes to come into the camp. You remember this in the Bible? And many people were bitten and died. And then they cried out to God for mercy. And he showed mercy. And he said to Moses, I want you to create this uh, bronze serpent, the Nehushtan. And I want you to show it to people. And any person who's been bitten, any person who's sick, when they look upon it, they'll be healed. Right? And so any person who looked upon it was healed. And you think that's the end of the story. That worked. That was what, what worked and what established God's glory and restored the people before the Lord, uh, you know, at that time as they exited Egypt. But it's not the end of the story. What did the Israelites do? They took the bronze serpent on the pole and they turned it into something to worship and burn incense to. 
Because now we read 300 years later, 300 years. That's like the time from John Wesley to today. 300 years later, they're worshiping the stupid pole. And God didn't think it was a good thing. No. Because when he became king, what did he do? He broke the thing up, got rid of it, because it had become a stumbling block. It got in the way. Everybody say, it got in the way. way. Do you understand what's happening here? Do you understand what's happening here? Israel turned the Nehushtan, an object of former glory, into a present-day object of religious worship. Boy, we could write a book on how much we've done that in Christianity. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, you're right, Pastor. You can go to those Catholic churches, and they've got those shrines, you know, uh, to all the different saints and stuff, and they've been doing that for decades. Oh, my goodness, it's so terrible. That's true. But do you think we're much different? Oh, no, we never build those little statues. (laughs) Oh, we may, you know, not build them and, and call them saints and then pray to them, but we still get stuck just as deeply stuck. How many churches do I know that have divided over stuff that is just as religious as that? Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? You know, people get stuck because, well, you know, Pastor, I remember the good old days when we had hymn books. Everybody had a hymn book. And you know, those hymn books were filled with songs that were given to us by God. You do realize that the hymns are not inspired scripture, right? They're not the scripture. Everybody say they're not. You may like them. I like some of them, but they're not the Bible. And they were a tool that was used to put the ability to sing and worship into the hands of everyday man in their day. Just as the choruses of worship we sing today do the same thing for this generation. But you would be amazed at how many people that take the hymnal and they turn it into a Nehushtan. Where they venerate that thing. You know? I'm not making this stuff up. This is the truth. And you all probably know of different church experiences that you've had and different cultures you've been in where we have turned different things that were part of a move of God in the past and we make them into a present day Nehushtan. We may not have the practice of burning incense at them or whatever as he talked about, but we venerate them, we worship them, we, we lock, latch onto those things and think that God can't do anything without them just as deeply as Israel is doing 300 years after Moses uh, liberated them. We're just as guilty. And God is saying to us today, no more Nehushtans. Stop turning a former move of God or something that happened in a former move of God and turning it into some kind of an object of worship or something that dictates how we have to worship today. And it's it's happened just recently. You know, back in the 1990s, there was a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto at the Toronto Airport Church. I was very quickly amazed and how many people took things that were happening in that move of God and turned it into a method that you needed to apply in order to have glory in your church. 
I'm, I'm serious. You know, like, if you don't pray a particular way, say, oh, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. Oh, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. If you don't do that, then how can you expect God to move? And I had people tell me stuff like that. Well, this is how we pray because this is, this is what brings his presence. This is what brings his presence. Nah, that's hogwash. It's just complete nonsense. What brings his presence? Hunger. Hunger, passion, that brings us presence. And if when you're passionate, you do this, that's great. Go for it. You can do this all you want. You know, I don't care. Nothing wrong with it. Just don't turn it into a religious thing. Are you hearing me? And the tendency in the human spirit to do that over and over again is absolutely crazy. We see something that, you know, we prayed for somebody. Maybe we, we prayed for somebody. We walked out and went, oh, God, help me. And we prayed for somebody, and they were healed instantly. Then the rest of our life, we go, oh, i got to do it this way before they're going to be healed. No! No. Stop doing that. No, everybody's saying no more in the hush stands. No Amen. We don't want more of that stuff. We're, we're putting on a boycott today. No more in the hush stands. Because the reality is we want to shape the future. We don't want to be shaped by the past. Right? Are you hearing me? Let me move on here because we're running out of time. I was thinking about this yesterday, and so then I, I kind of I wanted to articulate. I put it on paper, and this is what I come up with. I said, you can't be a history maker if your heart is preoccupied with the things that made history. Does everybody get that? You can't be a history maker if, if your heart is always preoccupied with the things that made history. Does that make any sense to anybody? You track with what I'm saying? If we want to shape history, then we have to say, God, what's the new thing you want to do? Don't get me wrong, the new thing's always got to match up with the Scripture. It's always got to be uh, something that, that is not in opposition to doctrine or whatever. We're not creating new doctrine. We're not creating, you know, uh, new books to the Bible. Nothing like that at all. But the Bible says, you know, uh, in Isaiah, see, behold, I am doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? Do you not see it? Why does he have to do a new thing? Because we're not the same people today that we were 100 years ago. We're not living in the same world we lived in 100 years ago. We're not facing the same obstacles that we had 100 years ago. The enemy's using new tactics. How many know the church needs to develop new tactics? Does that make any sense? And what we have to do is, is get unstuck from the religion of the past so we can actually hear what's the God thing he wants us to do today. Thank God that somebody said we can, we can actually raise money for Bibles in a different way. We don't have to just go to the congregations over and over again and say, can you just give? Can you just give? And somebody somewhere got the idea, hey, why don't we take the stuff that people are getting rid of anyway, put it in a store, we'll sell it to the public, take the money, and we'll use it to buy Bibles. Aren't you grateful that somebody did that? $91 million ago, somebody came up with that idea. Great idea. I believe God wants to bring more kingdom ideas like that to the forefront. Things that we never thought of doing before, but things that are going to enable us to break out and do new things for the glory of God and help us reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message is unchanging. Absolutely true. But the ways we present the message are changing all the time. I thought it was interesting. He said, the thumb drive's becoming passe. Now we're just using SD cards. How many know what a micro SD card? He showed you an SD card. Do you know what a micro SD card is? Have you seen those? Some cameras and cell phones take the micro one, like, like literally a quarter of the size of that one, Marshall, a quarter of the size. And at the uh, European uh, Electronics Expo last month, right, 
uh, uh, SanDisk, which is a company that makes those things, revealed a micro SD card that is 400 gigabytes. A micro SD card. It's like the size of your pinky nail, and it's 400 gigabytes. That's 400,000 megabytes. My first laptop when I started Desert Stream was 40 megabytes. This little thumb drive now, this little piece of plastic is 400,000 megabytes. My whole laptop could only handle 40 to 400,000. How many know the world's changing? And the church needs to use every tool at their disposal to get that timeless message out in every means possible. How many know we're going to have to get outside the box? Praise the Lord. All right, I'm running out of time, so let me just wrap this up. I believe God's calling us from following signs to signs following. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in chasing after the glory from one place to the other to the other, and praise God for every meeting. And I am not poo-pooing on the presence of the Lord. In fact, I want more. I want more. It's just that I want fresh bread from heaven. I don't want yesterday's bread. Nothing annoys me more than when I go to get some bread out and toast it, because our toaster takes long enough as it is. I, 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 I get annoyed when I take the bread out, and it's like four days old, and you, could, you, know, you just know it's going to be a bad toast experience. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? How many like four-day-old bread? I hate four-day-old bread. How many want fresh bread? I like fresh bread. And I believe that when it comes to, the, to, to God moving in our midst, we should be hungering for new bread, fresh bread. Not the old bread. Fresh bread. Everybody say fresh bread. We want our bagels to be fresh. We want our sandwich bread to be fresh. We even want that bruschetta stuff that's as hard as a rock and it's called fresh to be still fresh. I don't know how you tell when it's the old fresh or the new fresh, but apparently you can tell and you want it to be fresh, even though it's that hard to start with. But I'm telling you, we want fresh bread. Fresh bread. Hallelujah. All right. You see, if we don't get this right, then our service has become something where every week we have to try and up the ante to be better than the service before, rather than saying, God, just give me something fresh. Just give me something fresh. And when we say, God, just give me something fresh, somebody comes up and they have a prophetic word like this morning. Someone has a declaration to, to go with that. Because we just said, we have, we're not trying to recreate yesterday or last week. We're just saying, Lord, give me something fresh. And God brings something fresh. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. I'm going to stop there. I got... More that I could say, but uh, time is running out. Time is running out. Um, I think that says a lot. That says a lot. And, and I think it's important for you to understand where this is coming from. Uh, I, I am so grateful for everything that God has done. I don't discredit hardly any move of God that's happened in the charismatic community. I think that some of the ones that are even right out there have still brought something to the body of Christ. I really believe that. And I believe that we're better people because of what Holy Spirit has been doing uh, in and through his people around the world. But I just have this thing in my heart. I don't want to get stuck. I just don't want to get stuck. I believe that we need to see God be doing something fresh in our lives and in our midst all the time. I don't want yesterday's bread. I want today's bread. I want a fresh word from the Lord. I don't want any hush hands in our midst. I don't want us to get stuck where we... 
we, we have this one chorus that's our chorus, and we just sing that chorus every week because when we do, the glory falls. It becomes a Nehushtan. I may like the song, but guess what? There are other songs coming from different places in people's hearts. And I believe we have songs coming out of our own hearts in our own house. They're going to help people to just uh, be free in the Holy Spirit and in the Lord. No more Nehushtans. No more. And, and I don't know what you've made a Nehushtan out of in your life, but I'll bet you everybody in here has made at least one or two in their life. We've created at least one or two things that, that, fought, that we have, have really impacted us, and then we filter what God's doing through those things. And we, we expect that everything has to have a little bit of this or a little bit of that in it because that's how God did it in the past. Right? No more to that. No more to that. We need to be incredibly passionate for his presence and incredibly open to what God wants to do. And then we need to keep firmly the author and finisher of our faith in front of us as we do it. Jesus Christ. And then ask God, for those fresh ideas. You know, we've been meeting for a while now and as a, a business initiative community we talked about and, and uh, we're asking the Lord for that. And so one of the things that we, we, we put all our, our brains together, all of our collective wisdom such as it was, and we came together and, and when we filtered it all down, it seemed right to us and to the Holy Spirit that we should uh, take a stab at uh, running a coffee business of uh, importing coffee and selling premium coffee because everybody loves a good cup of coffee. And, uh, and we're beginning to see that come together for us, and we're beginning to, to uh, get product, and we had a tasting test night the, uh, last week or the week before, and we're just, we're just getting excited about what God's going to do. And why are we doing this? Because we are convinced that in order to reach people with the gospel, we're going to have to get outside the box. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt not sell coffee. Nowhere at all. doesn't say it. You, if you want to come up and try it, if you find that scripture, then you can show it to me afterwards, but it just doesn't exist. Uh, we're going to get into the marketplace, and we're going to present the best product with the, the best uh, experience behind it and uh, with the, the best chain of, of production to who grows it and, and making sure that the person who grows it is blessed and the person that is bringing it to our table is blessed. And we're going to do that in a way that has probably never been done before. And we're going to be excited about it because we're doing it for the kingdom of God. Are you hearing me? I believe God's got much more of that in store for us. And he's waiting for us to simply let go of yesterday, forgetting that which is behind, I press on toward the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, this morning. That Father, you are constantly revealing yourself to us in new and fresh ways. I realize this morning that you are the Lord God and you change not. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Lord, I also recognize that, Father, as our world is constantly changing and moving forward, you are speaking fresh uh, wind, fresh breath, fresh bread from heaven into our lives so that we can share with a, a culture and a world that is constantly changing, wrestling with new things, trying to find its, its way and trying to ask, asking the church for a compass to navigate a way through some of the most difficult decisions and choices they have to make. And Father, the church, if it's stuck in the past, will not be able to minister to the present. 
Father, help us today. Help us today. Father, we take our Nehushtans right now, and if you've got some in your life, just take them right now and lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Just lay them at the feet of Jesus. Put them down. Put them down and leave them there. Then you just kind of be back away. Just leave them right there at the feet of Jesus. Lord, we lay them all down at your feet this morning. I don't know what they are here this morning. There, there may be literally hundreds of them, but we lay them at the feet of Jesus today, knowing that, Lord, what we want is fresh bread from heaven. Fresh bread from heaven. Father, this isn't, doesn't mean that what happened in the past wasn't good. It was absolutely wonderful, and we're grateful for it. And Lord, and as something that happened in the past, which built me and strengthened me and presented me where I am today, it's a wonderful thing. But if I try and recreate it by rubbing it up and, and polishing it and everything else and putting it on a shelf and worshiping it, then nothing fresh will come from it today. So Lord, we lay it at your feet and we say, God, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, once again, you amaze us because there's just about everything we can think of. You have written about it in your scripture. Lord, and we say today, no more Nehushtans in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say it with me. No more Nehushtans. No more Nehushtans. God bless you. Uh, have an amazing, amazing week. Lord bless.